What's good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Intelica TIS Podcast with your host, Jai Shields. Got a good episode for you as we meet yet on another Wednesday. Uh, my apologies for not getting uh, to you all this weekend. My apologies for that. But we are back with another midweek edition of the Amatelica TIS Podcast. Got lots of stuff t- to discuss uh, this week, um, I'm going to get into this MLB and MLB Players Association battle over the revenue split and all that nonsense as far as if they ever resume, uh, to, you know, with this coronavirus still uh, going on. I'll touch on that. I'll also touch on, of course, uh, the last two episodes of The Last Dance that was this past Sunday. I'll touch on that, and I'll also touch on... Uh, Phyllis George, who passed away um, at the age of 70 this past weekend, who was at who, at least if you are a woman that works in the sports casting industry, uh, Phyllis George meant the world to you. And I'll get to her and uh, her career a little bit later on in the program. But first things first is these MLB players and this Players Association is Scott Boris and Tony Clark and this nonsense. Um, okay, so I don't want to hear Trevor Bauer, I don't want to hear Blake Snell, I don't want to hear Arenado, I don't want to hear Harper, I don't want to hear Boris the agent, tied to him, I don't want to hear Tony Clark, I don't want to hear any of those guys scream and moan and complain and bellyache and yell and scream and make a big stink about how dare MLB basically with the 50-50 revenue split we're going out risking quote-unquote risking our lives to play baseball all this nonsense I don't I don't want to hear that okay I don't want to hear it okay the players and the players association Tony Clark Scott Boris they are a bunch of delusional idiots that need to shut the hell up and tap into reality. This is plain and simple, bottom line. They need to shut up and they need to tap in, tap back into reality. Okay, Tony Clark, start with him. Okay, the idea that Robert Manfred, who is a Harvard graduate, who is a lot brighter than any, than Tony Clark and any of the players sitting there, you know, sitting, you know, Smarter than Snell, smarter than Bauer farting around with the drone that essentially chopped off his finger. Smarter than any of those guys. Alright? And I and I and I and I'll pick on Manfred in a minute, but first I'm gonna I'm gonna defend him first. Let me get Manfred, who's a Harvard graduate, who's been around baseball for a good periods of time, he's really gonna use he's you think he's that low of a human being and he has and he has lack thereof as far as morals is concerned that he's going to pull a wall over the player's eyes basically using the pandemic as a way to negotiate a salary cap with the players R- really really R- this is what this is what we're going to do now we are going to use a pandemic that Manfred and Major League Baseball had absolutely have have nothing to do with Pay, the the cause of the pandemic, I, I the cause of the pandemic, you can look to the to U.S. government, you can look to the Chinese, because those are the two parties responsible for the for the for the dopey pandemic. U.S. government, 
and the, and the, and the Chinese for hiding this and creating this damn thing to begin with. That that's who you blame. Manfred and and the owners have absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic. They didn't create it. They didn't come up with the conspiracy theory. Hey, let's create a pandemic so that all the sports shut down so we can jam a a, a, a salary cap down a player's throat. That's complete hogwash. It's a bunch of nonsense. So that's item number one. Item number two. Scott Boris, shut up, please. Okay, enough. Scott. Well, a player should go back and read us. Ah, no, 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 no. Well, well, a player should go back. Well, a player should go back and not be satisfied with the, uh, you know, with with the with uh, what what the uh, what the owners and MLB brings to the table as far as a uh, revenue split. They should reject this and go over. Shut up, Scott. Okay, this is the same idiot Scott Boris who thinks we should be playing baseball games till Christmas Day if we even do have a regular MLB season. This is the same Scott Boris that signed Chris Davis to a seven-year, $161 million contract where Chris Davis hasn't done a damn thing since he signed pen to paper, strike down every way left and right. With that over 54 streak, he had to begin the season. That hasn't done a freaking thing since the 2013-2014 season. That broke up the Baltimore Orioles season. Was the reason why Adam Jones is playing baseball halfway across the world in Japan. Why Manny Machado is playing baseball with the San Diego Padres. Who the hell knows where Jonathan Scope and Matt Weirs are still playing. Why Matt? Why uh, Nick Markegas is playing down in Atlanta. Why Buck Showalter isn't the manager of the team. So I want to hear things from Scott Boris. Shut up. This Scott Boris is the guy who thinks he should be the commissioner of baseball. Enough for Scott Boris. Shut up. Players to go renegotiate. Scott, shut up and worry about your players' contracts. Will you please? Negotiated, basically had Bryce Harper, 17 years, $300 million, whatever the hell it was. And Bryce Harper didn't do a damn thing in 2019 besides hit a grand slam to basically put the nail in the coffin of the 2019 Cubs season. Because the bullpen and Kimbrell stunk and spit up all over themselves. And Harper hit a, basically a, hit a grand slam to the, you know, to, uh, the, to the Rocky Steps at the uh, Philadelphia Art Museum and basically put the nail in the coffin with the 2019 Chicago Cubs. But other than that, Bryce Harper did absolutely nothing in the 2019 season. Did absolutely nothing. He left the, he left the team to go to the division rival, and the team they left ended up winning a World Series. So enough of Scott Boris. That's item number two. Item number three with the players. Okay, I don't need to hear Bauer and his dopey agent who thinks she's essentially Jerry Maguire sit up here and pontificate well, the players getting a raw deal, and you all should renegotiate this and blah and this, that, and the other. Oh, a bunch of nonsense! You know, calls the MLB, he sat and called the MLB's players' proposal laughable. And what what else did he call it? He called it laughable, and he questions you know the possibility of Bauer. Shut up, okay? This is the same idiot that got upset and questions revenue splits. Okay, this is the same idiot Bauer that sat up there and and got upset and threw a baseball over the fence in Kansas City last year because I, I Frank Kona took him out the game or whatever, and it's, and he got his ass traded to Cincinnati. Okay, and then the same guy fought around with the drones. Okay, I was in 100% agreement with him with the Astros thing, but this one, he's out of line. Bauer, shut up, all right? You players make a fortune to play a kid, to play a children's game. You make a fortune. You make more money on the field than basketball players, football players. I mean, you are, it's the richest sport of the American sports. Hockey players don't make as much as you guys do, neither do football. 
football players to chicken change, basketball players, uh-uh. You guys, you guys, out of all the major, the four American sports, all the four American team sports, you all make the most money. And you all are on, or, and you guys are at the same time on a blip on the, you all are a blip on the radar as far as what has the attention of the, of the youth sports fan. Okay, Trevor Bauer walks down the street, you know, if the world was normal, walks down Times Square, he might get a couple of people to say, oh, it's Trevor, but I'd, he's not going to attract the same attention as if Giannis Antetokounmpo or LeBron James were walking down the street, or Brady or Peyton Manning or or Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, whoever, take your pick. But 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 let's be fair, okay? You you play, these players are hot stuff. I got Bauer morning growing and complaining. I got I got Blake Snell sit up there on on his on his Twitch playing Fortnite whatever the hell he was playing on his Twitch account. Talking about well I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna get mine. Blake, when there are thirty plus million people unemployed and over ninety thousand people dead, dead, d a d, dead, dead. Perish, not here, deceased, gone, never to come back. Okay, when there are over 90,000 people in the United States of America dead because of this coronavirus and 30 plus million Americans unemployed, I don't need to hear, nor do I or any other American, especially if you are a servant on the front lines working in the hospitals or as an essential worker, or B, you had the damn thing and have recovered, or C, you knew you are you were close to someone that has either had the virus or, God forbid, has perished from the virus. America, the common man, you, you and me, does not want to hear an athlete making millions of dollars to throw a baseball, talk about I'm going to get mine as far as, as, far as revenue splitting and, and, and a pay for playing all that nonsense. No one wants to hear that. When, when they got dead bodies lining up so damn fast, they got to chuck them in refrigerated U-Haul trucks because they have no room to put the dead bodies at. And millions of people unemployed. With no job, people never going to come back to work. I was watching a 60 Minutes special a few weeks ago about a, about a woman that I think lived in Philadelphia who had a catering business, and she's sitting up here crying her eyes out to Scott Pelley because she says her business is going under the ground, and, she, and she's sitting up here telling Scott, Scott Pelley her business will never, ever recover once this virus is over. She has nothing. Scott Pelley asked her, how long do you think it is before you're broke? She paused for 45 seconds and was like, I'm broke now. I don't need to hear that when I got a woman crying her eyeballs out on 60 minutes talking about I have nothing left. So I don't need to hear Snell tell I'm going to get mine. You make millions of dollars stolen a baseball. Shut up and get your party straight. Damn. These entitled baseball players. And, this, and, and I've seen them, and I know how some of these guys act. They think they're hot crap because they throw about 90 miles an hour at 17 years old. They they busy get the world handed to them. They're on top of the world. They're on, new, they're on the covers of newspapers. The, their Twitter's getting blown up with uh, with coaches DMing them, wanting them for college visits and 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 and, and scholarships. 
And, you know, girls get all the attention in the world that they get catered to from, from, uh, from the time they step on the field as a varsity baseball player to the time they step into college to the time they get drafted on MLB Network, get interviewed, you know, get interviewed on MLB Network. These guys get catered and get the world handed to them at such a young, early age to the, and they, to the, what, to the point where they make millions of dollars playing a kid's game and they lose, and they, and all of a sudden, at 25 years of age, so I had a touch with yeah, with reality. Which just show just how stupid and ignorant a lot of these players are. A lot of them. Bunch of stupid, ignorant dummies that do nothing but get paid hand over fist to play a kid's game. And I got Blake Snell out here, I'm going to get mine. Shut up! And Arenado. This is Sam Arenado that got... Signed a, that basically signed the King's ransom to be with the Rockies, and then when he finally came to his senses and realized that the Rockies are no close to winning a World Series than the Minnesota Twins are, he decided, "Well, I well I actually want to play on a playoff contender." Well, hold on now, no, no, you were there to sign the money, and then when you realize that the team stinks and that and they have no future of making it and competing for a World Series championship, all of a sudden you went out. The world doesn't work that way. Live up to your contract and shut the hell up. My God, these players so out of touch with reality, it's ridiculous. You make millions of dollars, you privileged bastards. Think about someone besides yourself for once. There's 30 plus million people unemployed, not working. Well, shit, hit your knees and thank the good Lord that you have a freaking job to continue to pay you. And and if I'm not mistaken, you all had about a month and a half, two months worth of pay for doing nothing. You all are literally getting paid for sitting on your ass and Twitch streaming for crying out loud. You're getting paid for doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zilch. Zero. Nothing. And then you have nerves to say, well, I'm concerned about my health, but what? Well, you can't sit up, don't mix the health and the money. You can't sit up here and say, well, I'm out there risking my health and they're cutting this and cutting that. But if the tables were turned, they were actually paying you your full salary. You jump, you getting up and jump your happy hips up out of bed so fast to find a baseball field and make your head spin. Don't mix, don't mix the health with the finances, okay. If you don't want to play because you're not because you're unsure about it, you don't. I can't blame you for that. And in all honesty, I don't think it's worth it. You should cancel the whole damn season. It's gonna be a farce anyway. Who's gonna take an 82 game seriously to begin with anyway? You know, just screw the whole thing, scrap the whole thing. See you spring 2021. That's that's how I feel, and that's why I think things should be done in baseball. But I'm not the commissioner. But I would have I would have scrapped the season um, about about a month ago. Who's gonna take it anyway? 82 game season, no fans involved. It's gonna feel weird, and I don't want to have like a white sock or a white sock, you know, a white sock Diamondback World Series, and the division's gonna be all screwed up. Eh? I say just pull the plug on the whole thing. Unfortunate set of circumstances. We'll see you 2021. That's how I should look at it. That's how I would look at it.
So if you don't want to play because of your health, that's fine. But then you can't sit up here and double talk and sit up here and say, well, if they pay me my full salary, I'll go out there and heartbeat. No, 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 no. It's either you worry about your health or you or you want your full salary. Because you, you can't have it both ways. You can't sit up here and double talk. One or the other. Because you can't have both. My gosh. People piling up. Got, got to chuck people into the back of refrigerator U-Haul trucks because they have nowhere else to put the freaking bodies. And I got these parents even told me I'm going to get mine. Make millions of dollars playing a kid's game. Shut up and take your pay cut. My God. Expecting you to, expecting you to get paid full dollar yet knowing good and damn well their employees are losing money. Or their employers are losing money. How do, what, what sense does that make? Me expecting my employer to pay my full salary yet my employer is losing money. Yet I yet I should still sit up here and expect to get to get paid full. What 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 sense does that make? The owners are losing money because there ain't no fannies in the seats. No one's buying a T-shirt at the team store in the stadium. No one's getting a, a, two five-dollar hot dogs and a uh, and a medium root beer. Or a fro or a, you know a frozen lemonade. Or 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 in bolt and or a parks cakes case of a a funnel a funnel cake and a and a pulled pork sandwich from Boog's Barbecue, they're not doing that. Cause if you're playing, there's gonna be no fans at the ballpark. None. You're gonna be playing in an empty stadium. And I tell you right now, it's also Manfred's fault too with this. Okay, how in the world is it May the twentieth, and we still don't know which way is up and which way is down as far as this as far as this negotiation thing? All I've been hearing from the players, their little chitter chat within the owners. Can we have a formal like negotiation? Can we have like a formal proposal, yay or nay? And can we sooner or later figure out if we're going to have a baseball season or not? Because if you want to do it the way you want to do it. You're running out of time because it's going to be June 1st in about 11 to 12 days. And July will be here before you know it. I mean, it's going to get to a point where you're just going to, you're just going to have no choice to say the hell with it and throw away the whole season, which I think you should do anyway. But if baseball wants to seize because they don't want to you know, lose as much money as, the, as they would if they went 18 months without, without playing a game, they better hurry up and figure out something. And Manfred, I'm talking to you. Quit wasting time with this nonsense. Quit going on CNN, you know, and fighting around with all these little dopey little programs and, and you know, the, enough of that crap. Clark, Manfred, quit scoring around, get together, negotiate, do whatever the hell you got to do. So if you want to have a baseball season, get it to us quick, fast, and, and hey, hurry. Um, he doesn't know what the heck he's doing, Manfred. He's lost. Lost. He screwed up the Astros scandal, and he's about to screw up his own baseball season. He has a chance to basically be the only game in town and uh, and, and recapture the hearts of America's youth as far as the sport being America's pastime is concerned. He has an opportunity, a golden opportunity on a silver platter put right in front of him, and he's screwing it up. Why? Because Robert Manfred is an incompetent commissioner. Case closed, bottom line. Players shut up. Clark, shut up. 
Boy, shut up. Maverick, quit screwing around and get down to business. Back after this. you back to Amatel like a TIS podcast. One of the many songs on that fantastic soundtrack uh, that was uh, part of the uh, Last Dance documentary. Ten parts. We'll get to that a little bit later on um, this segment. But uh, first, I want to got to honor an order, excuse me, of business. I got to get out the way here in this sports world before we touch on the last dance. And that is um, uh, the late Foolish George's passing uh, earlier, uh, not earlier, but uh, this past weekend, who passed away at age 70. Um, there's a, here's a little bit of a tidbits on uh, her career. Um, she was the first uh, female sportscaster on network television in network television history. So CBS, ABC, and NBC. There was no Fox back in the 1970s. Fox didn't come around till uh, till about the late 80s, early 90s. But um, so back in the 70s it was CBS, NBC, and ABC. So, and she was the first female sportscaster on net in network television history when she joined the NFL today in 1975 with, uh, of course, the great Brent Musburger, Irv Cross, who was a former NFL player who was the, who was the analyst of that studio crew, and um, Jimmy the Greek, who was the, uh, who was the bookie better guy, um, Excuse me, of uh, you know who was in charge of the spread and, and giving his picks with Brent and this that and the other part of that legendary revolutionary NFL Today um, studio cast of characters back in the seventies and into the uh, in the in, into that eighties dynasty for CBS it basically made it basically invented the NFL uh, you know they I mean they were the first. Uh, they not say they invented it, but they were the first of to bring you that uh, that NFL pregame show on uh, late Sunday mornings, early Sunday afternoons before the playoffs. You know, not before the playoffs, but before the games start. You know, 
So credit to them while you get NFL Sunday Countdown on ESPN, NFL Game Day Morning on uh, on NFL Network, and Fox NFL Sunday on Fox, and of course, the show that still stands with uh, J.B. Boomer, uh, Coach Coward, Nate Burleson, and uh, Phil Sims, and that is the NFL today that is still going, what, 40-plus years strong uh, as we head into, hopefully we have a 2020 NFL season, but she was part of that dynasty. I did not realize that she was ranked, of course, with the NFL 100. They had the you know top 100 plays, top 100 games in NFL history, top 100. Either, did they have? I don't think they had top 100 coaches, but I know they had top 100 plays in the history of the game, games in the history of the game, and they also had game changers. And I did not realize until I checked Twitter about a few days ago that she was ranked number 91 on the NFL 100 all-time game changers for her being the first. A female sportscaster in network television uh, history. She, you know, among other things, opened up the door with, uh, you know, which is why, you know, Aaron Andrews, for a perfect example, there would be no Aaron Andrews, there would be no Pam Alver, there would be no Tracy Wolfson if if there if there wasn't a, a Phyllis George who came before those women did. So she definitely has her own little nook, and uh, and and. Not just in sports casting history for women, but also has her little nook of of uh, NFL history as we just uh, finished the hundredth season of the National Football League. A uh, little bit of background information: she was, you know, she was married to the uh, Kentucky governor. Uh, she was the first lady of Kentucky from 1979 to 1983. Born in Denton, Texas, in 1949, June 25th. Um, of course, was uh, married to Robert Evans, 1977 and 19 um, to 1978, um, and her ex-husband died back in October on the 26th. And then, of course, she married the governor, John Y. Brown uh, Jr., who's still alive. Um, had, you know, went to University of North Texas and TCU, same school that Annie Dalton um, went to. Won Miss America in 1971, Miss Texas in 1970. Um, just to give you a little background off of the Wikipedia page, um, the CBS Sports producer producers approached her to be a sports guy in 1974. Joined the NFL today, 1975, um, as a former beauty queen, of course, and limited television experience, was criticized for not possessing the traditional qualifications for being a sportscaster, of course, but, uh, you know, she had a talent she didn't know she had, and she ran with it and made a career out of it, to the point where, you know, the Hannah Storms of the world, the Andrea Kramers of the world, the two that, per, they, you know, that's, that's top of the line, top of the list that you saw, not just in the last dance documentary, but also the ones that's been around the block as far as covering the NFL for network television is concerned. They credit her as a as a true trailblazer and a pioneer for the uh, for the women of the generations that um, g- that go on to pursue sports casting, you know, from from the Hannah Storms and the uh, and the uh, Andrea Kramers to the Michelle Tafoyas and the Aaron Andrews, who if you ask a lot of people is like is the best one out of all of the uh, out of all the sideline reporters for the NFL that does the NFL, it'd be her. If you were at you know nine out of ten people probably give it an answer. 
but she, you know, she was a true trailblazer and, you know, was the first of her kind and had a lot of influence on a lot of women that, you know, want to pursue the sports casting industry or already have made it. You know, the, the Kay Adams of the world for NFL Network to the, you know, to the, um, you know, to Michelle Tafoya, NBC, and, and I, I, I could give you the names. I'd be here all night, but I, you know who, you know, you know who the, uh, who the people I'm speaking of, I'm talking about. I could be here all night naming the names, but, but a plethora of women that are already doing, uh, sports, you know, do already doing sports, primarily NFL, from on ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, this, that, and the other. Um, what's the other one? Um, God, what's it? Susie Colbert, that'd be, that'd be another one. But all those, wouldn't be any of those if that wasn't for first. And that is uh, the late Phyllis George who passed, who passed away uh, earlier this past weekend at age uh, 70. So we uh, rest in peace for Phyllis George and we switch gears for the last time. Touching on the final two episodes, episodes 9 and episode number 10 of The Last Dance. Um, so I'll just go in order here with the Pacers and Reggie Miller, of course. Um, it was fantastic with that robbery with Indiana back in, uh, back in uh, 1998 with, uh, in the conference finals with the Pacers. The Bulls with a one seed, Pacers with a three seed. And just that sequence of events, how Reggie Miller was one of those guys that did not uh, back down. You know, they didn't back down um, to, you know, to Michael Jordan and the Black Jesus comment and everything else. But, I mean, Reggie, Reggie Miller, you can make the argument, was like the Brett Favre of the NBA. He was a, he was a very streaky, very, he was a very streaky player. You know, he was a gunslinger, like Brett Favre was at the, at the quarterback's position in the National Football League. But and then you saw Reggie Miller hitting the game one three and game four with seven tenths of a second left, and, and the meme, and the meme that was created, when basically the whole arena erupted, and Larry Bird, who ended up being the uh, who was the coach of the Pacers at that time, who you know about what ten ten eleven years earlier defeated uh defeated Michael when he put up 60 plus points when he was uh when he was a Celtic player and all of a sudden 10 11 years later <laughs> Larry, Larry it's so funny cuz I can I can see I can see the look on his face in my head as I'm talking about it the whole st- the whole arena erupted in in excitement and Larry Bird still didn't move a muscle because he knew that they had Michael Jordan sitting down the other side and seven tenths of a second was just was just enough time for Michael Jordan to put up one more heave hold to win the game. And lo and bo- and Michael Jordan go Michael Jordan with seven tenths of a second left gets the ball in the inbound, moving right to left, double clutches the shot in the air, and you saw the ball it goes about an inch into the hoop. And somehow, somewhere, basketball and golf are the only two sports where this can happen, where the ball can, looks like it can go in the hole or in the hoop about an inch. It, it make like it's like dipping his toes in the water. It, it dips his toes in, and immediately, and immediately it comes and spins right back out. And they, and they almost won it, <laughs> and the Bulls almost won that game back in Game Four. 
that uh, that the Bulls ended up win- not the Bulls, but the Pacers ended up winning ninety six to ninety four to tie the series at two games apiece, heading into Game Five back to Chicago. But uh, I enjoyed that, um, and then of course the ninety seven Finals, which was like the besides Steve Kerr was like the was the last Bulls team flashback of the documentary as they were going back and forth but at least in episode nine with the uh with uh with the ninety eight series against uh Indiana and then the ninety seven series against Utah of course and uh and then they touch on uh you know of course the food poisoning game you know it was always called the flu game and then, uh, and then you, of course, you had, you know, but then it later came out as a food poisoning game. How Jordan, his recollection, fight, you know, the room, hotel room service was shut down. Um, hotel room service was shut down. They called all over Salt Lake City to find a, uh, you know, to find a bite to eat. Found a place, found a pizza place. Five guys came to the door to order a pizza. Um, Jordan, no one else ate the pizza Jordan did, and he got up at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, vomiting all over the place, and, you know, his trainer finding, you know, it was, he was in a ball, and his hotel room curled up in a ball, shivering with food poisoning, which, of course, A, is nothing to play with, and it ain't no joke, it, some people argue that it's just as bad as being sick with the cold and the flu, because you can't keep anything down, and he, and Jordan essentially, Going off in that game five, playing 44 minutes and 38 points, being ill with the food poisoning, you know, and you could just see as, as I mean, he was running on fumes. I mean, and you can make the, you know, people like, well, he played, if he was sick, why did he play the whole game? Well, you don't understand. Typically, like, when you're sick, if you if you've ever been sick, and you're playing a sport, you want to, like, stay, like, as active, and you want to, like, keep moving and keep on doing the task at hand because, A, it keeps you, because, A, it, it keeps your heart rate up, it, you know, it keeps your blood flowing or whatever, so you don't, like, feel, so you just fall out in the middle of, you know, in the middle of wherever, but also it, it helps keep your mind off of it, you know. It's, it's, hard for, it's hard for Jordan to worry about him being, you know, ill with food poisoning when he's dealing with Stockton and Maloney NBA Finals in a game five, you know, and then when that certain stops the play happens, what does he have left to do but worry about and be and be totally mentally consumed with him being down with, uh, you know, him being down with food poisoning. So it helps if you're active and, you know, doing stuff to take your mind off of it and you and you just and you just up you know it's it's easy plus it's a good motivator you know people think i can't play because i'm sick this that and the other well i'll show them and of course if you learned anything throughout the documentary is that jordan you know jordan would make up stuff in order for in order for him to basically fuel his psyche for him to uh go out and, and beat and beat his opponent the next game next time out um and then game one he hit the he hit the game one shot at the buzzer Pippen had the uh, tied NBA Finals record with seven three pointers. Also, going back to the Indiana thing in '98, I also forgot about Pippen missing missing the free throws at the end. Oh my goodness, crazy! Pippen, what 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 a terrible job by Pippen missing the, missing those free throws leading that led up to Reggie Miller making that game winning making a game winner with seven tenths of a second left. Um, of course, the flu game in Game Five. Game six hits uh Steve Kerr hits the game winner with five 
uh, with five second with uh, excuse me with five seconds left. I think you heard Kerr at the end of the '97 series saying, "Well, I guess gotta make it a joke how he has to you know bail MJ out again." You know, and you saw that him and MJ, you know, developed a close relationship as you learn at the end of episode eight after the after the practice scuffle when they, you know, when uh when Curb punched uh Steve, when Curb punched Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan responded, swung one to Steve Kerr's eye. Michael apologized, and they essentially were buddy buddies since that incident, and uh, and that was that with the '97 uh, finals situation. Now there have been stories going back to the food poisoning. There have been stories. Well, Jordan did Jordan spit on a pizza? How do you, you know? How do you how do you poison a pizza with you know with it like being disguisable to you know to the eye or to the smell or to the taste to the point where Jordan ate the whole freaking thing? I I don't want to get into that because it's a little disgusting, you know. If you, if you want to think about it, go in depth about it. But I would really like a full like book or a documentary, a little bit something that provides explanation to the to the pizza being poisoned, or is it, or was it really just a cover up of Jordan of rumors that I've heard previously of Jordan just being hungover. But I mean, you can't be hung over and and shivering. I mean, if you're hung over, you're vomiting all over the place. You don't necessarily are sweating profusely and uh, and have and having a fever and curling up in a ball with chills because you're freezing. That's not that's not necessarily a uh, a sign of uh, of uh, a hangover. A hangover, you're just vomiting all over the place. And uh, you can't keep anything down. You have a massive headache. I mean, that's it. You're not. You're not shivering. You don't have a fever. You just vomit, and you have a terrible headache. And that, you know, if if you're hung over like that. But I don't know. That that's neither here nor there. Uh, moving on. Uh, they also talked about uh, Steve Kerr's background. You know, with him loving basketball, growing up in California, and, and you know, and his father being an educator and going to American University of Beirut and him getting essentially him getting shot and murdered and you know that was you know, so I learned something there with Steve Kerr. I've always learned and found out that his father was you know was killed but I never heard that story from you know, heard the story from the horse's mouth. The horse's mouth being Kerr and his mother who's still going strong, who's still alive. Um, so I never heard that, you know, I haven't heard that story told on television verbatim up until, uh, up until Sunday, but it was good learning about Steve Kerr's background as a person and his father's death, of course. And then of course, going to 98, going to the 98 finals with, with the Utah, Dennis Rodman and his foolishness, you know, when he, you know, when they held, when they hold, uh, when they held, uh, Utah to an NBA, I think it's, I believe it's still an NBA Finals record. Uh, not, not check that in Game Three, fewest, uh, the fewest points in NBA playoff history, with uh, fifty-four. You hold Utah to fifty-four points at a ninety-six fifty-four victory in Game Three of the ninety-eight NBA Finals, and I got Dennis Rodman fourth round NWO uh, with uh, with uh, Hulk Hogan. Deacon out on practice, and then the guy, and then because he has no guts, he doesn't basically face the music to the media, you know, trying to slip out the back way, 
having the media have to chase him to get a response out of him. I mean, really? This is what we're going to do now, Dennis Rodman. Game, you know, you mess up, you absolutely whoop the Utah Jazz to shreds, you embarrass them. And then, yeah, I'm not going to go to practice. I'm going to go, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decon practice and fought around with uh, with Hulk Hogan with the NWO wrestling, fake wrestling show, show, show business nonsense. And then, you know, when, and then when he comes back and he has to, you know, face the music and basically take responsibility to his actions and ask some questions to the media because he, because the guy is smiling and he has no guts, he runs away from the media. So, I mean... I mean, I, I, I heard Patrick Maher say this on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Monday night. And, you know, Rodman, he's weird, he's crazy. But, I mean, to be quite honest, Dennis Rodman is, is, is a clown. He, he, he's a defensive rebounding genius as a basketball player, but, but he's a clown. Fought, you know, with, with, with the hair colored 73 different colors. Then you know the nail polish, the 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 ear piercings, him farting around with Kim Jong Un, and him doing the NWO nonsense. He he he's he's, he's Dennis Rodman is is a clown to be to be straight up and down with. He's just, he's just a clown. And it's Scottie Pippen's back issues with Game Six going up for a dunk and he whacks his back out of place, and uh, essentially Michael Jordan just using him as a decoy. And Michael Jordan with the game-winning shot, was there a push-off? Yes, or no? uh, there was no push. His momentum was already taking him, and Michael Jordan essentially just used that hand just to guide, just to like guide his body. Yep, you 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 were falling over there anyway. I'm just guide you to that area. So you can just fall like an idiot while I bank this shot to to give my team their sixth ring in a championship history and and secure our second three-peat. Now. When it comes to the discussion of Jordan, you know, with uh, with wanting a seventh ring, Jordan, you know, saying, you know, outside of Scotty, you know, you would have, Scotty Pippen would have been the only guy who would have took some convincing to come back on a short one year, on a short term one year deal. But he's Jordan saying everybody would have came back, and Reinsdorf is, you know, says, you know, and that's why you had Jordan with the crazy response, yet blessing us with another uh, glorious uh, last dance meme. You had Reinsdorf sit up here and say, he, you know, essentially saying among other things, he had no problem breaking up the team, you know, and of course, and the whole, and I think that was like a little bit of a plot twist. How at first it was, well, Krause is no doubt that Krause is, is is the villain of this whole thing, and in the last episode, it's it's Reinsdorf who essentially, and if and if you read in between the lines, and if you heard with your third ear, you you would you would you would figure that that. Well, Kraus works for Reinsdorf. Reinsdorf's the owner, and Kraus is just the GM. Kraus has to answer to Reinsdorf, just like Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan have to uh, have to uh, answer to answer to Reinsdorf, the owner. And it, and it, lo and behold, it comes out in the last episode that Reinsdorf had no problem breaking up the team because he didn't want to pay all those you know have to pay a king's ransom to the coach and to Pippen and all the players, Kerr and Rodman. He didn't want to have to pay him all stupidly so because you know if he, if if Michael jo- if you got Michael Jordan you got to at least try to go for a four peat and ring and win the seventh ring especially when the whole fan base is like come back come back we won seven we won seven all that sort of stuff but it, it came out at the end that Reinsdorf is the quote unquote true villain of why the team broke up because simply he just he just didn't want to pay him 
He 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 had no problem bringing up the team because he didn't want to play him. He didn't want to deal with Scotty in his mouth, and he, you know he didn't you know Jordan with the idea that if that if Jackson isn't going to come back, you know the Michael Jordan is going to come back. He he just didn't now. It, 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 I mean they all have their reasons, of course, but it came out that Reinsdorf that Croft's basically doing Reinsdorf's bidding. He 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 didn't want to pay the team. He. he he, he, you know, Phil, A, Phil wanted a break first off, you know, he, you know, he was a guy that didn't want to basically stay in one location for a certain amount of time. Phil wanted a break and Reinsdorf, and Reinsdorf didn't want to pay, didn't want to pay the guys. Simply put, he, he just didn't want to pay him. And essentially he had Cross basically do his bidding for him by saying, I don't care if they go 82 and oh, this is it. Goodbye, Phil Jackson, and and you know, and if Michael Jordan chooses to leave because he does, because he don't want to play for any any coach besides Phil, then uh, then uh, so be it. But I mean, I mean, Kraus. I mean, you can also say at the same time that Kraus did do did he extinguished the hopes of the teams of the team coming back for the ninety eight ninety nine season by saying what he said before the season started. And causing up that friction, you know, when they, I think when they played Utah, uh, the, uh, what, I think the Monday or the week after, uh, after Super Bowl, uh, 33, when the, when Denver knocked off Atlanta. So when, when they played Utah back in the, back in the regular season in late January, you know, caught, you know, making those, you know, making those insane comments that's just doing nothing but starting up friction and then he has, an, and then Kraus has his, gets his feelings hurt when uh, when Craig Sager is like, what, "What's with with what? What is with all the backstabbing that's going on within the team?" And Kraus gets his feelings hurt, feelings hurt, and he goes ahead and he stomps off and cries like a little baby. But uh, so I mean, Kraus comes off as completely insecure, and you know, instead of instead of him just being relaxed, just being chill, he feels neither he should be in the main center of attention because he's the GM and he has that Napoleon complex of being of being a short fat guy that's never gotten uh much attention as far as athletic achievements are concerned. But Reinsdorf had no problem with breaking up the team. Don't get that twisted. So quick to blame Kraus deserves some blame. But Reinsdorf is the owner. He's the head guy. If he won, he he had full authority and full power, and it would have been no issues if he would have told if he a would have fired Jerry, reassigned Jerry, or told Jerry just straight up shut up. I'm the owner. I'm the I'm the head boss. I want Jackson back, and I want anyone else back. T- tell Jerry to shut up with with. I don't care if the eighty two and old is to tell Jerry to shut up and Kraus rather to shut up and kick rocks. I'm the owner. I want these guys back to try to win four in a row. And he had a power and he didn't do it. And said, talk about what, what the rebuild nonsense. Well, how, how, how did the rebuild uh, work, Jerry Reinsdorf? You're still rebuilding. It's about it's 22 years since that 98 championship. And outside of a couple of playoff appearances here and there, you've done absolutely, you haven't appeared in the NBA, you haven't appeared in the NBA final since you're still rebuilding. So in hindsight, was that really the best decision? Uh, it it looked a lot better if the guys kept the, and stayed around, and won and won a seventh championship in that strike shortened '99 season. 
and you could at least have some leeway, you know, with the seven championships and the only four beat in NBA history. With with uh, with Jordan and company, you could get away with that if you haven't been to a final since if you had the seventh championship, but you didn't. So and, and, and you're still paying for it because you haven't been back to an NBA final since. You haven't. But he but don't get it twisted. He he had no problem had no problem breaking up the team. No problem. He can sit there and say, "Well, okay, I would have invited him back." If Jerry, if if you had if you wanted the team back so badly, why didn't you tell your why didn't you tell Kraus who who's your inferior? You are his superior. You're the owner. He's the GM. Why didn't you tell Kraus to, to shut to sit down and shut up? I'm the owner. If I want him back, I, you're gonna have to shut shut up, bite the bullet, or get out because I because I want these guys back. They've won me championships and they've made me money. If they want to be back, they've earned every right to come back. Every right, and instead, instead of instead of letting the players and basically instead instead of letting the the championship elements as far as the coaching and the players are concerned, instead of letting them decide when to leave, Reisdorf essentially pushed them out the door, for what to to you know to pay Steve Kerr all that money to you know to to uh, to uh, to dump Rodman and to uh, trade Pippen. For what, you know, re- still rebuilding for a championship? They haven't been back to an NBA final since '98. You know, so Ryan's the, instead of letting the players decide when enough was enough is enough, he pushed them out the door. You know, it's it's, it's like with the Patriots. Kraft did Kraft did not push Kraft did not push uh, Brady. Brady, you know, just as those are the two perfect examples is Brady and Gronk. He he didn't push Brady and Gronk out the door. He's not pushing Belichick out the door. Belichick Belichick will get sick and tired of coaching for the Patriots when he tells us he's sick and tired of coaching the Patriots. Brady 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 didn't want to sign back with uh with the with the Patriots. He wanted to go he wanted to go south to Tampa. Gronk Gronk retired. He came back. Pat's, you know, fulfilled his wishes with the trade. He wanted he wanted to rejoin Tom in Tampa. So be it. Kraft didn't push Brady and Gronk. He, he didn't push him out the door. He he hasn't at least not yet. At least hasn't pushed Belichick out the door yet. He he's letting the guys and the people that have brought him many of wealth as far as making money and finances is concerned and the six championships a la with Jordan and his crew and Reinsdorf with their six championships Kraft is letting his people that's brought him the championships make up their mind when to go because as the owner who's profited and who has um, benefited from their from their labor and their success Krev realizes that even though he's the owner, he's the boss man. He does not have that right to essentially push out his money makers and his championship winners out the door. If Tom Brady wants to leave, Tom Brady will take it upon himself and decide within himself that he wants to leave. That he's had enough of New England, which he which he ended up doing anyway. He he, he ain't he ain't pushing Belichick out the door. Belichick is going to decide when 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 enough is enough in Foxborough. He's going to make that decision. Not not. Not uh, Robert Kraft or Jonathan Kraft. Belichick makes that decision, not not the Krafts.
Reinsdorf didn't understand that. He thought, well, I've I've had enough. Let's you know with the rebuild thing. I don't want to pay X amount of players this, that, and the other. I'm I'm gonna push the coach and everyone else out the door. While since then they haven't appeared in the NBA Finals and essentially in the grand scheme of things haven't done a, haven't won a thing since in the big picture. Haven't haven't done a thing since. Top five moments of the last dance to wrap up the program. Um, let's see. It'll go number five to one, all right? Uh, five, f- f- top five uh, favorite moments in the last dance. Five was Rodman's Vegas get- getaway. Never in, never in my life prior to that episode had I heard any information about Rodman wanting to take a quote-unquote vacation, going out, fighting around in Vegas for 86 hours, I I did not realize that 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 was unforgettable and I like that and plus seeing a 1990s Carmen Electra uh, you hear me 1990s okay for coach real quick for coach Ireton and my uncle and all you bozos out there that think that a 48 going on 68 plastic surgery bleached hair wrinkled up Carmen Electra looks better 2020 then in 1997 1998 1996 1990 uh, nine, you need your head examined okay looks better 20 plus years ago than she does now and I'm right on that I don't I don't know if you guys I don't know what it is but you all being older and and your and your eyes and your memory stuck in a time warp thinking that a woman who's approximately you know who's older now and looks worse now and the in my honest opinion looks worse now than she does then I, I don't understand you guys. That that's something that I, that I just don't understand, and probably will never understand. But in my honest opinion, she looks better then than she does now. But that's not a human there. And but going back as I'm getting off the beaten path, seeing a 1990s Carmen Electra does not is I, I'll I'll take that any day of the week and twice on Sundays. So I enjoyed the uh, learning about the Vegas uh, rendezvous. Number f- and and the story of MJ basically coming in there as if it was a movie coming down the. You know, banging on the hotel door, breaking into the thing, dragging uh, Rodman out the bed onto practice while Electra's hiding hiding behind a uh, hiding under a bed sheet underneath a couch somewhere. So you know, so I enjoyed that. Number four was Jerry Krause doing the Running Man when they won when the uh, when the Bulls defeat the Pistons in '91 to go on to the NBA Finals. I enjoyed that with uh, with the whole crew da- with you know, Scottie Pippen dance with the sunglasses on and Jerry Krause <laughs> doing the running man with the whole team going just go Jerry go Jerry to um to uh, how you like me now of cool of cool Modi who I played uh, at the top of the segment. That was number four. Number three were the memes. From the look on Larry Bird's face when Reggie Miller hit the jumper to the look on uh, Jordan's face when Gary Payton, you know, with Gary Payton when he was looking on the iPad to when Jordan, to face expressions Jordan made when Reinsdorf was essentially explaining why the team didn't reunite for the 1998-1999 season to looks on Jordan in practice to him and uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, in the Bulls locker room a few episodes back. And there's another one I'm forgetting. Um, and, of course, to that, to that angry Utah fan, to that angry Utah fan that was, chewing, that was chewing out the Bulls players. 
the but the memes in this documentary were absolutely for, for phenomenal. I mean, Mike, Michael Jordan is is the meme king. He's the great. He's the greatest. He's the greatest basketball player of all time, and he also provides us with the great memes. Whether it's the crying Jordan meme from the Hall of Fame speech, the crying Jordan meme 2.0 from the uh, from when he was crying at the Kobe Memorial Ceremony in uh, February at the Staples Center, and what the memes he's provided us throughout this documentary to him jamming on the back of the bus with the Walkman. You know, with the facial expressions looking on the iPad to him in practice, to him with the baseball bat in his hand, with the cigar in his mouth at the Bulls practice facility. I mean, Jordan is is the king of memes. I mean, so that's that's number number three. Number two, seeing how Michael Jordan was as a teammate behind the scenes. You know, him joking around with his teammates, him with the little jabs, you know, him making jokes. You know when he went up to uh, when he went up to Larry Bird when they beat the when they beat the Pacers and he said, "Yo, B F U." You know that was funny. Just seeing Jordan just as a basketball player in his day behind the scenes off the court with that behind the scenes footage that they had for that last dance season was special. Um, and then number one, learning about Michael Jordan's life, his background of him growing up as a kid. Of course, I've always heard. Ad infinitum, the cut from his high school basketball team story, him, you know, originally wanting to be with Adidas and him not and him not liking Nike at first, just learning about Michael Jordan's life and his entire career, you know, his days at the University of North Carolina, him with the shot in '82, I believe '81, '82, um, and then of course uh, him him as a Chicago Bull back in the 80s before all the championships and him golfing with Danny Ainge and then dropping 60 against the in, against the Celtics in the mid in the mid late 80s which goes back to when Jordan saw Bird at the end of the 98 series against Indiana just learning about Michael Jordan's life and what drove him as a basketball player and as a professional athlete all those years ago and as a person that never saw who was an who was a baby when Michael Jordan was wrapping up his career for the final time as a Washington Wizard and whose father was essentially where where I am now graduating high school with when the last dance season uh happened and who didn't you know who didn't see Michael Jordan Life at any point in any time of my life being drafted in 1984 and wrapping up his career in 2003, it was. I am so grateful and so glad that I got to see the behind the scenes footage and see what the Mad Dog Russo's of the world and what my parents saw and basketball fans who are of age witness in person, in you know, in person and live, you know, in real life as it was happening back in the 1980s and 1990s. I'm just so glad that the documentary uh, happened. It was created, and I'm so glad and so thankful that they pushed up the air date because of the coronavirus essentially shutting down all sports across the sports landscape here in America. So, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Time Like a TIS podcast. If you like what you heard, new to the program, please subscribe. Follow yours truly on Twitter at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it TIS. Share it with your friends and family if they enjoy a little sports talk here during this coronavirus pandemic. Stay safe. God bless y'all. Talk to you on Sunday. <laughs>